السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن ولا قال رب شح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل الأكة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم زدنا علما All praise and thanks is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Peace and salutations upon Muhammad ibn Abdullah. Salawatullahi wa salamuhu alayhi. Peace and salutations upon his family, upon his friends, and upon all those who try to emulate him until the end of time. Ahlan wa sahlan wa marhaban bikum. Welcome to each and every one of you. And after praising and thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we welcome each and everyone to a new series. A book entitled Riyadu Salihin, The Gardens of the Righteous, by Imam An Nawawi, O Nawawi, Rahimallahu Ta'ala. And this book, we will introduce it bi'ithnillahi ta'ala next week as tonight we will be looking at the biography of the author of the book the compiler of the book who is none other than Imam An-Nawawi rahimallahu ta'ala and it is extremely important for Muslims or the Muslim ummah to take out some time and to learn about the lives of the pious predecessors of the Salafus Salih, <coughs> the great scholars of Islam, and the pious individuals that the past can be great examples for the living. My honorable brothers and sisters in Islam, in these lessons we will be looking at the ahadith of our illustrious leader Muhammad ibn Abdullah salawatullahi wa salamuhu And also we will be looking at how this great scholar, Imam An-Nawawi rahimallahu ta'ala, how he put various ahadith under various chapters in this book of his, so that we as a Muslim ummah, we as the followers of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that we can better our lives. And many of these ahadith in this book that we will be covering does not, or rather it teaches us to be better Muslims, to improve our lives. It deals with, for example, certain akhlaq issues. It deals with the chapter on reliance, how to rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, etc. And this shows us the caliber of the great Imam, the great author, that he compiled or authored this book. And he placed certain ahadith under certain chapters and not maybe using other ahadith under certain other chapters. And Allah knows best. So this is why we will be taking some time out tonight to look and to study the life and to know who was this man. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taken so much work from him that one would hardly find a masjid. And I'm talking about a masjid 
anywhere in the world. 98% of the masajid in the world, they either have a copy of Riyadu Salihin or the 40 ahadith of Imam Anawawi rahimallahu ta'ala. So understanding the behavior and the actions of these great men and women that were the pioneers of Islam in the eras, they wrote books, they understood what the Prophet ﷺ said and they conveyed this message of Islam into or to us as the latter of the Ummah. And the actions and the behavior, it has a great effect upon the hearts of us as believers. The examples demonstrate that in every age there were pious Muslims who followed the way of Rasulullah and his noble companions without any compromise and without any giving into their desires of the world. And the first point I would like to highlight or look at is Imam Nawawi rahimallahu ta'ala's birth and his upbringing. His name was Muhyiuddin Abu Zakaria Yahya ibn Sharaf al-Hizami al-Nawawi or as some says al-Nawawi. He was born in the village of Nawa, south of Damascus, today's Syria. And he was born in the year 1233. <clears throat> and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant Imam An-Nawawi a high place in Jannah. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to ease the affairs of our brothers and sisters that are oppressed in Syria and in many other countries. Allahumma ameen. So if one looks at the youth of Imam An-Nawawi rahimallahu ta'ala, we find that the Imam, he was not attracted to sports or any plane, etc. And from a young age, where you would find other children or other youth playing outside or just being a youth as we find in today's time that a child is a child. And yes, children need to play. Children need to go out. They need to explore a bit. There's no doubt. But certain children, they are special. And Imam An-Nawawi rahimallahu ta'ala, he was one of them. He was though that type of child that he never found interest in playing outside. He never found interest in sports. These things did not attract him. But rather he spent and he turned his attention to his studies. The Imam, he hated any activity that would take him away from memorizing the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yani the Quran. And I would like to share an example. It's recorded in some of the history books that on one occasion the children they forced him to play with him. And we all know how children are. So they told the Imam, you know what, please come, please. 
Zakaria, please come. You need to play with us. So he said, fine. But he started to cry. So imagine. They come, they call him. They say, you need to play with us. They force him. What happens? He starts to cry because he realized that he will be wasting time. And this shows us the caliber of the Imam. This shows us the caliber of Imam An-Nawawi rahimahullah ta'ala. As a young child, he dedicated his life to the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this brings to mind the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Where he says that one of the groups that will be shaded on the day of Qiyamah, where there is going to be no shade. And he says that this group or one of them is a youth that has dedicated his time for the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imam An-Nawawi rahimahullahu ta'ala, he memorized the Quran at an early age. At the age of 18, his father took him to Damascus to continue his studies. He excelled in the Shafi'i school of fiqh. He memorized some of its most important texts. He performed the pilgrimage to Mecca. He visited Medina and other locations, but he returned to Damascus to continue his studies. He remained in Damascus until just prior to his death when he returned to his hometown of Nawa. His pursuit of knowledge. Imam An-Nawawi rahimallahu ta'ala, he first studied at the Saramiya school in Damascus. This is where his father left him. He had no housing there whatsoever. And after some time, he approached the sheikh of the school to ask if he had any housing as many of the schools housed their children. They had no housing space so the sheikh suggested that he goes to the Rawahiya Institute. So here we need to pause again. So what would happen in those years is that you had certain institutions. Almost if one would like to Maybe say like a Daru Ulum in today's time or maybe like the Azhar or Jamaat Islamiya. And what would happen is that obviously during those times there's no application system like we have today. So if you need to go to Jamaat Islamiya, what happens? You need to apply. And not too long ago, I remember at my first few applications, where to fill it in, you had to give it to a student that's studying there and he would hand it into the institute and they would let you know after a few months, a year, two years, in some people's case, five, six, seven years after applying, would you be accepted? And then later on, institute introduced that you apply online. And like this, 
many of the other institutes in the world like the Daru Ulooms and other universities, one needs to apply or your parents would take you, you'd meet the principal, etc. You'd fill in certain forms and you would either be a boarder, meaning you would stay at the institute. But you, during those years, you would go to the institute. There's nothing still to fill in any forms that you need to write and give a copy of your ID or your passport, etc. The school will either say, okay, you are accepted. And here we see that his father leaves him. His father leaves him here without realizing that there is no housing for him. So maybe the hostel was full. And this leaves us to another situation. That the imam, he was not very well off. His father was not very well off either. So he comes and he meets the sheikh and he asks, and he asks the sheikh, is there no place? The sheikh suggests that there's no place at the school, but I can show you or indicate to you another school. Rawahiya. And here he was given a very small room in which he lived for a number of years. In fact, he remained in the small room until he was named the head of the Ashrafiya school a number of years later. It was also stated that when one would visit the Imam, the room was so small and the books were so many that the only way one could sit was to remove the books and pile them up on one on top of each other to make some room to sit. Again, this shows you the caliber of the Imam. He was an Imam, he was a scholar by the true meaning that he had a small place to stay but he had a lot of books. He had books that he would refer to on a continuous basis. Such a small room that when someone comes to visit him, maybe someone comes to review a mas'ala, someone comes to get a fatwa, the room was so small that they needed to move away some of the books just so that they could sit with the imam. After um, he studies at Rawahiya school in Damascus, at one point in time he was attending 12 lectures a day. Subhanallah. Imagine. Today we have class from maybe 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock until 1 and then we're tired. And during those 5 or 6 hours is maybe a break for a half an hour. So you maybe covered about 3 or 4 subjects for the day or 4 or 5 lessons for the day. Here the Imam is attending 12 lessons a day on different topics including the Arabic language, Hadith, Fiqh, Islamic legal theories. So this shows us that his intelligence, this shows us what type of person the Imam was. He was someone that, like we mentioned earlier, he never wasted time. He was someone that sacrificed his life for the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We also find that some of his teachers, it included Ishaq ibn Ahmad al-Maghrabi al-Maqdisi. It included Abdurrahman al-Anbari. It included Abdul Aziz al-Ansari. And 
he studied Sahih Muslim from Abu Ishaq Ibrahim Al-Wasiti at the age of 24. Also at the age of 24 he became a, very, uh, became a teacher and he started teaching at the Ashrafiya school. His reputation and his excellence as a scholar began to be recognized by the scholars and the inhabitants of Damascus. So those years, my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, as you would find to a certain extent today, a person, he comes into a certain area, he starts teaching, he goes to a certain madrasa, to a certain school, and he starts teaching. And later on, his students, right, if he's teaching in a school, they would start telling other people, they would start speaking to their parents, you know, um, mashallah, alhamdulillah, my sheikh, or my teacher, subhanallah, is extremely good in Nahu. Or he's a very good hadith teacher, or a fiqh teacher, or a aqeedah teacher, tafsir teacher. Whatever subject it might be. And you know, we benefited so much, and he maybe explained this mas'ala in this way. And the students would inform their families. And like this, then the family would tell other people, tell their family members or their friends, you know, Fulan or my son, he studied under this sheikh and mashallah, a very young sheikh, but extremely good and he explained this issue to them and that mas'ala and this, etc. So like this, the people of the community, the people of the locality, they start to understand and they start to know the caliber of the sheikh. And like this, it spreads and it maybe comes to other ulama that does not know him and then they start having interactions with the sheikh, they start inviting the sheikh over to their masajid to give durus, etc. And this is how an imam or a sheikh, a teacher, he builds himself. Not to get famous, not to get reward from the people, but rather so that he can spread his deen, he can spread the teachings that Allah Azza wa Jal gifted him with. So here we find that the scholars and the inhabitants of Damascus, they started to recognize who Imam An-Nawawi was. The next important point that we need to understand at, and that we need to look at with regards to Imam An-Nawawi is with regards to his creed, his aqidah. And there is no doubt that each and every Muslim needs to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala according to that which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught us, that which his companions were upon, and those who follows that path. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he mentions in a hadith and he says, خَيْرٌ nasi qarni." ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ That the best of people is my generation, meaning the companions of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the likes of Abu Bakr, the likes of Umar, the likes of Uthman, Talha, Zubair, Aisha, Fatima, may Allah be pleased with all of them. And then those that comes after them, the tabi'een, And then those that come after the tabi'een, the adba'u tabi'een. My beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, this 
is the correct methodology. This is the correct creed. This is the creed that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to be upon. If you want to know how to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, look at Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. If you want to know how to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you want to know who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, then go back to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa you want to know the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You want to know the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then look at Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Look at his companions radiyallahu an. Look at those that came after them. And indeed you will be successful. And the creed and the correct way of knowing who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is proved from many verses of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is proven in the Quran. This is proven via a hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And this methodology and this manhaj, this is known as the way of the Salafus Salih. This is known as the way of the pious predecessors of Islam. So nowadays, when we hear this term, the pious predecessors or the Salafus Salih, then all sorts of alarm bells rings in a person's mind. Oh, this is the people that they do not love the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Okay, this people they claim to be on the methodology of the Salaf. So they do not follow a madhab. This type of people, they do not love the four imams that we know of. Which we'll touch on a bit later. This is a group of people that they don't accept a hadith. They don't love the Ahlul Bayt. They don't love the pious of the Ummah. And all these type of alarm bells that rings in someone's head is false. If they were a people, if they were a group, if you want to put it in inverted commas, that shows their love for Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, then you won't find a group better than portraying their love to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam than those that follow the manhaj of the Salafus Salih. If you look at a group that defends the methodology of, and I'm using the four imams in inverted commas because there were many more imams, as we will see a bit later. Like the likes of Imam Malik, of Imam al-Shafi'i, of Imam Abu Hanifa, of Imam Ahmad. May Allah be pleased with all of them. If you look at a group that honors them and follows them, and reveres them, then don't look further than the group known or the group that follows the way of the Salafus Salih. And this methodology has always been present, but it received more attention in the late 80s, in the late 90s, and in our current times that we find ourselves today. We find that more and more Muslims we're starting to recognize the strengths 
in this movement of Ahlu Sunnah wal Jama'ah, in this movement of following the way of the pious predecessors. And they started to find weakness in other groups that had certain mistakes. Whether it was in Aqidah or whether it was in the methodology of fiqh, etc., etc. And for one, or an example that one can look at is the Ash'ari school, because the Ash'ari school or the followers of the Ash'ari school, they say that Imam Nawawi rahimahullah ta'ala was a follower of the school. He was a follower of the Ash'ari school. And I'm not going to go into details, not an Aqeedah lesson, but the Ash'aris, they claim to be followers of Abu al-Hasan al-Ash'ari rahimahullahu ta'ala. And the term Ash'ari can cover a broad, broad spectrum of beliefs. And one of the noble ideas that the Ash'ari or the Ash'aris that they introduced is to give figurative interpretations of many of the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this approach differed from the approach that was handed down from the companions of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Another important point is that we find that many modern day adherents to the Ash'ari madhab or creed they criticize certain ulama, for example, Shaykh Abdul Aziz bin Baz ta'ala, and other of the ulama for correcting certain views of the great scholars of the ummah, for example, Imam al-Nawawi that we are discussing now, and the likes of Imam Ibn al-Hajr and others. And here, my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, we are going to be discussing a very important fact, a very important lesson, that the standard by which we judge is that we do not judge by looking at what Sheikh bin Ba said or what Imam An-Nawawi said. Or what Ibn Hajar said. Yes, we will go to the books to understand better. But where do we go back to? We go back to the Quran and we go back to the Sunnah. And we go back to the understanding of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And that of his companions and the tabi'een and the atba'u tabi'een. And if it is correct according to that standard that the likes of Sheikh bin Baz or the likes of Imam Nawawi or Ibn Taymiyyah or Ibn Qayyim if it is correct according to that standard then we accept it regardless who says it. But if it is something in which they are incorrecting according to the standard of the Quran and the Sunnah ala fahmi salaf salih upon the understanding of the Qur'an and Sunnah, upon the understanding of the pious predecessors. 
then we will have to look at it and if it's against that we will reject it and furthermore my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam when it is convenient for certain followers of certain ideologies like for example we mentioned the modern day Ash'aris then they also disagree with great scholars such as Imam Nawawi rahimahullahu ta'ala or such as Ibn Hajr especially with points related to Aqidah I'm going to repeat this that some groups they would even reject the Imams that they once claimed they follow or that they claim follow their Aqidah if it goes against what they believe then they reject the view of these Imams and Allah knows best we'll find this in Fiqh as well and you'll find this in other matters of Deen so my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam if they are free to disagree with them then why is it that other ulama that came later cannot disagree with them as well especially if they have the backing of the Quran and the Sunnah and the way of the Salafus Salih so with explaining this this obviously we find that we see the revival of the and we're going to use it in inverted commas the Salafi school this is not a new school this is not a new methodology something that's always been there has been revived by certain ulama in certain eras by the likes of Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab rahimahullahu ta'ala certain of this belief was revived by Imam al-Sunnah Ahmad ibn Hanbal rahimahullahu ta'ala by Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullahu ta'ala so certain eras needed the revival and the re-emergence of the school and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he did this through certain people some of them were more famous than others some of them up until today they other it still remains for example if you look at the works of Ibn Taymiyyah look at the works of his student Ibn Qayyim look at the works of Ahmad Ibn Hanbal look at the works of Muhammad Ibn Abdul Wahab may Allah be pleased with all of them that some of these works they still remain up until today and they are taught up until today so like we said the revival of the school that some people they became confused concerning how to deal with and view many of the earlier scholars that held certain views that maybe went against the views of Ahlu Sunnah wal Jama or that these scholars they made certain errors my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam this is an extremely important point that I need to highlight we as human beings we are not sinless that's point number one Point number two, we as human beings that maybe studied the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to a certain extent, we are not ma'asum. Not like Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So you are going to find a mistake. You are going to find a scholar that he might have an opinion today. 
But come two or three years time, even not even a year, maybe a few months, he's read some more, spoken to some more ulama, and his opinion has changed. And this is obviously with regards to fiqh or in matters of hadith, etc. But when it comes to belief, when it comes to aqidah, then this does not change. And I would like to give an example of Muhammad Idris al-Shafi'i rahimahullah ta'ala. For those that know the Shafi'i madhab, you will understand that Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah ta'ala he has what is known as the Qawl Qadim and the Qawl Jadid. So he had certain views and then when he went to Egypt he changed certain views and this is why in the books you will find that he had an old opinion and a new opinion. And many of the ulama of this ummah they were like that. They would have a view today and on researching etc. they would change the view, there is nothing wrong with it. Sometimes we find that in our society that we live today, that many people, they would meet you, they'd ask you a question, etc. And they get an answer. And maybe they hear from someone else a few months later that, you know, this sheikh, and they discuss an issue. And someone says, yeah, but you know, Shefulan, he said this. And then I come and I say, but he told me something else, the opposite, two months ago. Alhamdulillah. And this shows you a great sign of a student of knowledge. This shows you a great sign of a sheikh, of a da'i, that is continuously reading, continuously researching. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us true students of knowledge. That we are never satisfied with what we have. But we continue learning, we continue reading, so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can place barakah in our lives and make us better ambassadors of this deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <coughs> so we find that in the writings of great scholars of Islam, like Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani and Imam Nawawi rahimahullah ta'ala, as well as others, there are numerous passages or certain statements that goes against the beliefs of the Salaf. And this is with regards to Aqidah. So, the next question that someone might ask himself, how is it that these great ulama, that these great scholars, they would hold such views? He's such a great scholar. The one wrote a sharh on Sahih Bukhari. The other one wrote a sharh on Sahih Muslim. And the next question that comes up, so fine, they made a mistake. But what is our attitude towards these scholars? And it is due to the appearance of questions like these that Imam An-Nawawi rahimahullah ta'ala's creed or beliefs will be discussed. And this is why ulama has written many books with regards to the creed of the likes of Imam Anawawi, of Ibn Hajar Asqalani and others. So with regards to mentioning the correct approach to the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
then like we mentioned earlier, the correct approach is coming from the Salaf, and that is whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala stated about himself, or whatever Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has stated about himself is accepted as true and stated clearly. So with regards to asma and sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah mentions his attributes, his names in the Quran. We accept it. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he mentioned the attributes and the names of Allah jal. We accept this as well. And there's no need for reinterpretation. There's no need for someone to come and state, no, that I think it should be like this. And let's look at an example. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, Yadullah, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he has a hand. Then this is understood that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he has a hand, how it befits him. We don't ask the kayfiyah, we don't ask how. But for someone to come later and says, no, that you know, if you open the dictionary hand, or yet it has a certain amount of meanings, and this is why hand means power, or it means mercy, or any other kind of interpretation. This is incorrect. We don't find Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa saying this. We don't find the first three generations saying this. So we stick to what they say and Allah azza wa jal knows best. At the same time though it is understood that as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made clear in the Quran لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ That none is like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or none like unto Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah knows best. The next point I would like to highlight is that Imam An-Nawawi rahimallahu ta'ala, he never wrote any book specifically in the field of Aqidah. There is a book entitled Al-Maqasid Fi Bayan Ma Yajib Ma'rifatuhu Min Ad-Din Min Al-Aqidah Wal-Ibadah Wal-Usul that is ascribed to Imam An-Nawawi rahimallahu ta'ala. According to Salman and Ad-Dikr, they do not mention these books amongst the writings of Imam An-Nawawi rahimallahu ta'ala. And you will find that these were people that they knew the Imam the best. So if the students of the Imam does not have any <coughs> writings or any copies of a book, then has it really been attributed to the Imam? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Again, this is something important. A person is judged generally on the likes of your students. So if your students who knows you very well, they spent many years with you, they spent years studying with you, they know you, your caliber, they know the books that you wrote, and obviously in today's time, alhamdulillah, things are easy, things are available on the internet, person publishes a book, etc., you will find that this book can be easily attributed to a particular sheikh. But those years, things were hard. Maybe books got missing, books got spoiled, books got burned. Whatever it might be. 
And also to look at this book, let's look at Imam As-Suyuti, who is considered to be a mujtahid of note. He's considered to be a person that followed the Ash'ari Aqidah as well. He also has books on Aqidah, but he never ever mentioned or attributed this book to Imam Al-Nawawi Rahimallahu Ta'ala. In our times today, there is a scholar by the name of Hassan Al-Hitu, a specialist in Shafi Fiqh. He mentions 38 books of Imam Al-Nawawi and he does not include that book. So here we can find that most probably the book is not attributed to Imam or the Imam did not write the book as is falsely attributed to the Imam. The next point I would like to highlight is that there is no doubt that the Imam An-Nawawi rahimallahu ta'ala he made ta'wil for a number of attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive the Imam as we will see a bit later what Shaykh Uthaymin rahimallahu ta'ala says. We find that many of the modern day scholars, they seem to incline that Imam An-Nawawi, that the Imam himself inclined more to the Salaf, to the way of the Salaf movement or to the Salaf al-Sali than to the Ash'ari group. For example, the author of the book Al-Imam An-Nawawi Wajuhuda Wufi Tafsir. He wrote and he says that he was a Salafi in his beliefs but he occasionally made ta'wil and in the, his book on the Ash'ari school as well one of the ulama in our times today he says that it is not correct to consider Imam An-Nawawi as an Ash'ari it should be said that he agrees with the Ash'aris on some points. Sheikh Nasir al-Aql, he also wrote and he said that speaking of Imam al-Nawawi and others similar to him with respect to their general beliefs, they are from Ahlu Sunnah wal Jama. So here we need to pause and these are ulama of the of Ahlu Sunnah wal Jama, ulama that if we want to term and use the word in inverted commas, of the Salafi movement. So they say that with respect to the to their general beliefs, they are from Ahlu Sunnah wal Jama'ah. As for calling them Ash'aris, this is in need of some verification and confirmation. They are closer to being from the people of Hadith than they are to being from the people of theology. And Allah knows best. Shaykh Uthaymin rahimallahu ta'ala he was asked specifically about Imam Al-Nawawi and Imam Al-Hajr Ibn Hajr Al-Asqalani and the Shaykh he says that these two Shaykhs and preservers of the religion they have their place of prominence honesty and great benefit for the Muslim nation even if they made some mistake in reinterpreting some of the texts mention 
the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Such mistakes are covered and immersed by what they had of virtue and great benefit. We suspect that what they stated was only the result of their own personal ijtihad and a permissible form of interpretation, at least in their view. And we hope from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that such are from the forgiven mistakes. And we hope that the good that they did for this ummah, it outweighs the errors that they made and that it will be rewarded by Allah Azza wa Jal. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, إِنَّ الْحَسَنَاتِ يُذْهِبْنَ السَّيِّئَاتِ That indeed good deeds, it removes bad deeds. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, He also says similar in the hadith, اِتَّقِ اللَّهِ حَيْثُ مَا كُنْتِ وَأَتْبِعْ سَيِّئَةَ الْحَسَنَاتَ تَمْحُوهَا that follow up if there's a mistake then follow it up with good deeds and how many good deeds how many books has this ulama not written and we ask and we pray to Allah Azza wa Jal that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives them and then the author he says and he carries on Sheikh Uthaymin and he says that we are of the opinion that they are from Ahlul Sunnah and this is evidenced by their service to the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Their eagerness to purify it from the wrong that had been attributed to it and the implementation of its rulings. They differed from the leaders of Ahlul Sunnah with respect to certain verses and ahadith concerning certain attributes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on mistaken ijtihad. And we pray to Allah azza wa jal that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives them. This is found in the certain books of Shaykh Uthaymin and one of them being the explanation that the Shaykh has on Riyadh al-Salihin and Allah azza wa jal knows best. Imam al-Nawawi and Fiqh. Imam al-Nawawi rahimahullahu ta'ala is one of the greatest Shafi'i scholars to have ever lived. Of the latter Shafi'i scholars, Imam al-Nawawi was of the greatest. And before him was the likes of Imam al-Rafi'i. May Allah be pleased with both of them. And they had the greatest influence on the madhab. The influence and following was so great that it led Muhammad ibn Ali ibn Abdul Wahhab of the 8th century to say today the people are Rafi'iyya and not Shafi'iyya as well as Nawawiyya and not Nabawiyya implying that people were following Imam al-Rafi'i instead of Imam al-Shafi'i and people were following Imam al-Nawawi instead of following the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam Imam al-Nawawi rahimallahu ta'ala, he was a great faqih or a jurist. However, he was not muta'asib. He was not a blind and patriotic follower of the specific school of fiqh. So, which was obviously the Shafi'i school of fiqh. Yes, many of his masayil. It coincided or it agreed with the fiqh of 
the madhab, which is the Shafi'i madhab. But the Imam was not muta'asib. And this is something that we need to look at. In fact, that if he found a hadith that went contrary to the madhab, or he found a view that the madhab said something, but there's another view that was stronger, he would adopt and he would follow that view. And this, in fact, teaches us how one should be following the deen and especially fiqh with regards to the schools of fiqh. And an example of Imam An-Nawawi ta'ala is with regards to when someone has wudu and he eats camel meat. So someone he has wudu, he eats camel meat. According to the Shafi'i Madhab, this does not break one's wudu. However, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, explains in a hadith that whomsoever eats camel meat and he has wudu, he needs to make wudu again. And this was the view of Imam An-Nawawi rahimallahu ta'ala. So this shows you that he was not someone that was a blind follower or a patriotic follower of the Shafi'i school and he would leave the school for certain masail and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Imam An-Nawawi rahimallahu ta'ala, he has a classic book of fiqh that we use up until today, which is known as Al-Majmu'. And in this book, he has an introduction about the importance of attaining knowledge and fiqh. And he says that even As-Salah, or Afal, even As-Salah, he says that if a follower of the Shafi school finds a hadith that contradicts his madhab, then if he possesses the qualifications of an absolute mujtahid or a mujtahid on that particular matter, yani on that subject, then he should research the matter and he has the right to independently follow the hadith. If he does not have these qualifications and it is hard upon him to go against what is stated in the hadith, after he researched the matter and he did not find a satisfying response to why the mother did not follow that, then he may act in accordance with the hadith. If an imam other than Imam al-Shafi'i has acted on the basis of that hadith, in that case he will be excused for not following the imam of his madhab. So here, my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, before we move on to the demise of Imam al-Nawawi, we see and we need to understand that Islam does not want us to be narrow-minded. So I was taught this particular madhab and I can only follow this. If you feel that you have the tools or you find someone explains to you that there's something stronger and it does not conform with the madhab that you follow, then you are more than welcome to follow the next view and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. The death of Imam An-Nawawi rahimallahu ta'ala shortly before Imam An-Nawawi's death, he returned to his hometown known as Nawa. There are two different stories given as to why he returned. Perhaps they, they are not contradictory. Basically, the ruler, Al-Zahir, Bairbaz, he became so enraged with Imam An-Nawawi's refusal to accept any kind of wrong that he ordered Imam An-Nawawi to be expelled from Damascus. The ruler's expelling of Imam Nawawi would have been due to Imam Nawawi's objections to more than one act that the ruler was doing. Imam An-Nawawi then went to visit his teachers 
and colleagues in Damascus, both or those that were alive, and some narration says that he went to the cemeteries at well as well to bid them farewell. Then he went to Jerusalem and then he went back to Noah. Allah knows best if this actually really happened. After a short period of time in Noah, he fell ill and he passed away. He died on the 24th of Rajab in the year 676 of the Hijrah, 1277 CE. He died at the age of 44. The Imam, he was not married. And one thing that I would like to highlight is that he passed away at the age of 44. But the amount of work that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted from the Imam is amazing and is outstanding. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive the Imam if he had any shortcomings. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant him the highest places in Jannah for the work that he did today. His student Ibn al-Atar, he mentioned as is clear from his commentary of Sahih Muslim that he wished and this is Imam Anawawi that Imam Anawawi he wished that his grave would be according to the Sunnah meaning that there will be nothing built on his grave or his grave would not be built etc. And this is why we find and it's reported in books that people decided to build a dome over the grave of Imam An-Nawawi which is not allowed in Islam and we find that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he accepted this dua of Imam Nawawi that he wanted his burial to be according to his grave to be according to the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and every time they tried to build something over the grave, it was destroyed. And after a few attempts, they left it as it is. And his grave is still well known today and recognized today. If you go to Syria, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide and protect us. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive our shortcomings. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant the ulama of this ummah success. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us as an ummah victory wherever we might find ourselves going through difficulty. And my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, next week, inshallah, we will start the book Riyadu Salihin. We will look at the introduction of the book and we will look at certain aspects of the book, how many ahadith is in the book, how many chapters in the book. And obviously as known and as we saw on the poster, it says selected chapters. The book is extremely long, there is many ahadith in the book, so we will select certain chapters that we can take extreme benefits from and how it would impact our lives as we are going through certain difficulties in today's time or how it would impact our lives in generally subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik ashadu wa la ilaha illa astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh
Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Need certain ears. As we saw in the post, it says, 